Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast. This is episode 23. And this is the second half of our crossover episode with our good friend Daisy Breckenhall from the Keto Woman podcast. So if you are hearing this for the first time, so you can go back to episode 22, which is part one of our crossover episode. So Jackie, it was really good having our good friend, um, our inspiring keto goddess royalty, uh, <laughs> Daisy Brackenhall, on our podcast, um, yeah. seeing as, you know, it was certainly through Daisy that you got to meet me. Yes, definitely. So I'm sure that we we need to thank the, the keto goddess herself for um, a virtual introduction. And um, yeah, this is the second part of, of the crossover episode with, with her. Yeah. So if- just to remind, sorry. As I say, if people want to know how you and I met, they can go back to episode 000 and 01, episode one. <laughs> and um, to remind the listeners, I'm sure that we can just give a brief reintroduction for Daisy's bio. Jackie, why don't you remind us? Daisy Brackenhall is a Brit who has been living in rural France for the past 17 years. She lost half her body weight with weight loss surgery and low-carb eating and has since maintained a healthy weight with keto. Keto has helped her significantly reduce depression and migraines. She's a part-time gardener and lives with her three dogs and cats. Daisy is a podcaster and produces two weekly podcasts. In the Keto Woman podcast, Daisy chats with extraordinary women and shares their inspiring stories with listeners. Monday Mindset is Daisy's newest podcast and a collaboration with her friend and psychologist, Terry Lance, who works at The Fasting Method. Each week, they share with each other and their listeners something that they have found inspiring or motivational. A few years ago, Daisy created and continues to run a successful Facebook group for women called Kick-Ass Keto Bitches. With almost 3,000 members from all around the world, the group functions as a safe and inviting community for women to find and offer support to one another. And how do you go with other experiments? I mean, you've done the no sweetener September. What else have you done to perhaps tweak and modify your keto? Well, I do need to look at dairy. I don't want to. Me too. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> I'm in denial. But I do need to look at it. I kind of did cut back on it as a, I guess I got into that momentum with the sweeteners. And there are, well, there are two food groups that are other things that are very problematic for me. Those are nuts and dairy. 
And when I say problematic, problematic in craving mindset type way, but also to a degree of physical and digestive way. If I overdo nuts, I tend to get a bit of a tummy ache. I certainly tend to overdo them. So there will be uh, a keto rollover in that it can do the whole knock you out of ketosis. Not that, you know, I'm not really a fan of being too worried about that. But they have that problem, nuts being, although they're a great keto food, they are relatively carby. And if you obviously, if you're good at sticking to small serving sizes, not a problem. Perfect keto food. If you're like me and you have a tendency to eat a bit too much, those carbs can stack up fairly quickly. So it's a problem from that point of view. And problem for me in the going backwards and forwards too often, that's always the telltale sign for me. If it keeps popping into my mind, we'll just go and get another spoonful of that almond butter doesn't matter that it's you know it's you're not having it as a dessert or whatever it is and interestingly that's something I thought I was going to have to cut nut butters out completely that has been a bit my treat food on the no sweetener journey and I have been able to control them much much better Mm. so it's still a potential problem area but it's something that I can have in my life and enjoy as a treat and then there's the dairy well that had a natural tail off actually, because of the sweetener thing. So, of course, the ice cream went straight away. Mm. Anything that's sweet was out the window as far as dairy was concerned. So those higher carb dairy items like cream. Cream cheese was something that I'd been having in the fridge and been eating snack-wise as well as including in some of my ice cream recipes. But that was all too easy to eat straight out of the tub as well. And that, as you know, is on the higher carb end. So that went and I started sticking to just the as close to zero as possible cheeses and only having those. Because I think I do think I have a a lactose issue. And so if I can keep it really low, it's not too much of a problem. But if I'm honest, I know that all cheese and all dairy affects me to a certain extent. I feel it in my in my sinuses and if I've eaten quite a lot I start feeling in my throat that feeling you know when you think you're coming down with a cold Mm. so it definitely sort of impacts the mucousy type zones Um, so I know I do have an issue it's just whether I want to go completely without or whether I'm prepared to accept and I'm somewhere in between in the most part I keep it to a minimum or a not a daily thing but accept the consequences when I have it. And I'm certainly not prepared, at least yet, to cut out butter. That's the big one for me. I could actually go without cheese, probably, at least for periods of time. But butter is a daily thing. So very, very difficult. I don't know. I might do a a month of no dairy, but I'm really not sure because I think long term. I don't know. It's good to do a challenge, isn't it? Because it really gives you a very clear picture of what it feels like to be without it. So you've got a good comparison. So at some point I might do it, but whether it would ever stick long term, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking I needed to do it. I was going to do it now for November, but then Lou convinced me to leave all the testing till after Christmas, (laughs) maybe February. Very difficult. Very difficult. And I think it really does depend what the consequences are. 
And that's why it's really good to do these challenges, to do elimination diets of some kind. I think I'd always say to anybody who has any suspect foods to at some point or other do an elimination diet just to see what impact all the different kind of foods do have. Because it can be weird things like they have been talking a lot to lipedema ladies recently and I have to I have to say I'm one. I have lipedema. I haven't had an official diagnosis, but I'm definitely a lippy lady, as they like to call themselves. And we tend to be much more impacted by things like dairy, nuts, um, but also things like nightshade seem to be a very, very common issue in that group. And of course, it's a, it's a common issue for a lot of people. And there are sneaky things. So you can have something that you don't have much of, like paprika. <laughs> you look at, on ingredients and see how many products paprika is in. Mm. Look at your mayonnaise. I bet there's a bit of paprika in there. Yeah, it's in all sorts of things. And if you're extremely sensitive to it, that could be having a negative impact on you. You know, you, you'd have no idea. It's a bit like a lot of us are used to looking for gluten and wheat because we can be highly sensitive to it. Well, potentially something like paprika could be the same because it's a nightshade. You might steer clear of all the obvious ones like not eating tomatoes and peppers and aubergines. But paprika, little tiny thing at the end of an ingredients list, it might not be something that you're used to looking for. So I think it's a, it's a really good idea just to find out if you're sensitive to things because knowledge is power, isn't it? Mm. And sometimes it can be things that you don't have to avoid completely. You might just have to limit. Yeah. You know, it might, you might have a tipping point where you can have a certain amount, a small amount at the weekends, whatever it is, without kicking off a, a really negative cycle. But finding out these things is so useful, I think, to be able to make good choices. Yes. Did you find out, um, I know that both Jackie and yourself have, have migraines. Did you find out what, what really triggered your migraines? Well, it's always a combination, really, when it comes to migraines. People talk about it in different ways. You hear people talking about um, migraine stacking. Elena Gross likes migraine buckets. And really what happens is that your bucket fills up with things. And there's no, or very rarely anyway, there's no one thing that gives you a migraine. There can be things that are very typical triggers for you. So smell always used to be something that I was very sensitive to. And I could almost guarantee that if I was in an enclosed space with someone wearing perfume, for example, or around smokers, the chances were very, very good that I'd end up with a migraine. But I can be in those situations now and the chances are very good that I will not get a migraine. So you could be kind of tricked into thinking that smells give me migraines. Well, they kind of do, but as a cumulative effect. Mm. So you have all sorts of things in your migraine bucket and different things have different weights. And for me, my diet had a massive, took up a massive part of that bucket. I have no idea how much, but I'm guessing at least half. And so when I sorted that out, which for me was keto, my migraines dropped. 
you know, almost completely for time. I've had periods where they've come back a bit. I'm in that place where I'm sort of getting them sometimes. There are all sorts of other things you see, though, that screw around with it. So maybe menopause is a big one that affects it. Can do it positively. My mother, for example, has had migraines for decades. She's gone through menopause now and her migraines have all but gone. Mine seem to have gone a bit the other way. I seem to be having a few more associated with menopause. But sleep is a big one for me. So if I've not had good sleep, the chances of me getting a migraine are much higher. So that takes up a lot of my bucket. Stress is a massive one. You know, if I'm having a really, really stressful few days, I'm going to start getting migraines almost definitely. And then all those other little things like potentially different food things. So there are typical ones, aren't there? Coffee, dark chocolate, cheese, all these things cited as things that will give you a migraine. You never know what's going to just make your bucket spill over. But my point is, if you can take out some of the big things that fill up a lot of the bucket, all those little things that end up tipping you over, that often end up getting the blame for your migraine, no longer will Mm. because you've emptied half your bucket out and you put in those things that tipped you over before and they no longer do. Obviously, sometimes they do. Mm. I mean, that's how it works for me. I I don't know about you, Jackie. What's your experience been? I don't know what triggers my migraines. Previously, I think it was hormonal, but then I used to get them so often that I couldn't relate them to anything. And I remember one specific time a long time ago where I went out to dinner on a Saturday night. I had the same food one weekend, the same drink, and the following weekend I had exactly the same and I got a migraine. So one weekend I didn't and one weekend I did. But I don't know what was the triggering thing that caused my migraine. I can't put it down to cheese. I can't put it down to red wine or what was the other things you said? Oh, chocolate. I mean, there are all sorts of things. Yeah. There was nothing specifically like that. So I don't know what caused it. They went down a lot when I was pregnant. So I had them while I was pregnant. I had them quite badly. And then after the pregnancy, they dropped off a bit. Mm. It implies hormones. Mm. They weren't as bad after that, but I still used to get them quite a lot. And now I go through phases like you. So I'm currently in a phase where I seem to be getting them more often. And then I go through months and months and months where I don't have any. And I do not know what causes it. Mm. I don't drink alcohol. It's not alcohol related. Don't know. Um, electrolytes. I've been trying to keep my electrolytes up. So I've been, I've added in a teaspoon of salt every day. So I have half a teaspoon in the morning, half a teaspoon in the evening. That seems to help a little bit. If I feel it coming on, I'll take some extra salt, those sorts of things. But I don't know what causes them. It's tricky, isn't it? Certainly hormonal stuff always used to be a big thing for me and maybe still is. The, Weather pressure, this is a bit of a joke in our family because that's always the thing with my mother that it's the weather, but it really can be the weather. I found, we say it's the weather, it's it's the pressure, I think. I would go with that, yeah. It's, I'm more likely to get a migraine on those, those days where it feels very close where there's, I don't know how that relates to exactly what that means in terms of weather pressure, but those, those more overcast, heavy pressure days, that can be something that makes it more likely. 
um, possibly things to do with light levels. Certainly one of the big things for me, because I used to get them a lot and I used to get them for long periods of time. So there was, I think my record was a full two weeks in one month, but I used to get them a lot. And a big problem, and this is why I stopped taking specific migraine medication. And actually, I'm very careful about what I take now it tends to be ibuprofen. Sometimes an ibuprofen paracetamol combo works pretty well. But one of the biggest problems with migraines and headaches are rebound migraines and headaches. And you get into that with taking the very medication that is supposed to be helping. If you take them past, and I don't know what the exact figure is, but I think it's, I think I read, I'll dig out the books and I'll give you the links. But they were very helpful for me. I think it's like two or three days. If you're taking medication for more than a couple of days in a row, you're going to start getting into rebound headaches, which are basically caused by the medication you're taking to get rid of them. Mm. And you can get into that vicious cycle. And that's what I found. And also the meds become less and less effective. Yes. So I was taking these quite strong migraine medications, specifically, I forget, triptans. Yeah, me too the ones I was taking. Never particularly liked taking them because they have an impact on Horrible your system. They are, yeah, they, they do have nasty side effects. The earlier you take them, actually, the lower the side effects are. So you then you get into the habit of as soon as you feel like the migraine might be coming on, you take them. But that can lead into taking more and more. And I just decided I wasn't going to take them anymore. I, I've read a lot about triptans and how they can be really problematic in and of themselves as far as migraines go. And actually, not only prolonging in the moment, but prolonging long term, you having migraines. So I decided I wasn't going to use them anymore. And I haven't used them for years. And I've, I definitely feel better for it. But I get the odd migraine that I just can't get to go. I can do three rounds of the ibuprofen paracetamol in a day and they won't go and one thing I've noticed that I will always take some tablets where I didn't used to if I had a headache headache slash migraine I can usually tell it's a migraine because it's behind my eye but I do confuse the two if I have one in the evening before I could go to sleep without taking medication knowing that I would wake up without it now if I go to sleep with one I'll wake up with it and then that day will be one of those days, most likely, that I can't get rid of it. Mm. And it could end up being, uh, you know, a two, three day migraine. So I learned things. And, it, and so they evolve like anything else, like how well keto works for us. I think migraines and how you deal with them, especially tied in with things that help like keto, it evolves and you have to be open to continuously changing how you deal with them. Mm. I do still have Sumitropan pills around. I've always got them around, but I try not to take them, but I don't take anything. Mm. But I know three days, I've got 72 hours of this horrible, it's not even the pain is not that much. It's just the whole feeling that takes over your body. Mm. And so long as I don't get the really bad nausea in my stomach, I can cope with that. And then, so I don't take anything. If the nausea comes on really badly, then I have to take one. Mm. But whereas I used to take nine a month, I now take 
two a year. Oh, perfect. I can cope with that. Yeah, I, and I can remember him talking about it and I can't remember what he cited. But I think he said, look, if you're not taking more than one or two a month, then this is a medication that is probably quite effective for you. And that's a, a level that's okay to use. But if you're finding you're taking it a lot, lot more, then you need to think about not using it anymore which is where I was at yeah and it's hard to do that it's just becoming less and less effective I had to keep upping the dose and that's a sure danger sign for me mm. and what about your like your depression I mean you're mentioning about how sort of obviously coming on in your early early tweens and how has low-carb keto impacted on your mood well initially it helped a lot and then I've had periods where I've had depressive episodes again. But yes, I started coming out of a long depression, really. Earlier this year, I would say, I don't know, March, April, started to come out of it. But previous to that, it had really been a good year or so that for the bulk of the time, I was not feeling good at all. I had brief periods of respite where... Uh, you know, if I was going away or with something like with you coming to stay, it's almost like when something like that happens, you can kind of function normally. It's almost like it goes in a box and it goes on the shelf and it's kind of lurking there right in the background. You can't say you're jumping around happy, but you can just shelve it while you're distracted by going away, going to the UK, being with family, having someone to stay. And then as soon as that bit is over, you have to take that box back off the shelf and open it up and it all comes back. So I think a lot of people who suffer from depression will probably will get this that often other people don't really know or certainly don't know the level that you're going through at home because you put on a good face and often you can literally be feeling that when you're in company for that brief period of time. Like I say, this sort of box on a shelf thing. And they don't really get the full extent of what it feels like to be living with it at home. Mm. And everyone experiences that in different ways. And and for me, it ebbs and flows, the intensity. I can have, when I'm really in it, I can have days where it's really visceral. I mean, it is there. I have... Literally, I think it's a combination of anxiety and depression. I, I can feel it crawling around under my skin. Literally, it's like I've got ants crawling under my skin. And then there's this heavy, heavy weight of depression that again feels very real. It's pressing down on me. And I can have periods of time where on an emotional knife edge, so I'm crying all the time. I get angry at the drop of the hat all those kind of things. And it's just very difficult to get through the day. And I quite easily fall into the old habits. My way of dealing with depression was eating carbs and sleeping. Mm. And of course, that works really well because you get the whole thing you get from the carbs, you get that numbing effect and then you tend to go to sleep. Mm. <laughs> and that's what I used to just want to spend my time asleep, really. And so it was very effective. And although it did have, it did do quite a lot of damage, it was less damaging than some other substances I could have chosen. So in some ways, I'm thankful that my body and mind chose that route, yeah. um, chose 
chose those things to do that had that kind of reaction with my depression. It also served a purpose that I had to unpack through therapy of putting up a, a defense, literally a defensive wall of fat that kept people away, especially uh, sexual relationships. It kept away. And I, I was really only fully aware of that when it came down. And I was sort of reveling in the fact that I didn't have this fat anymore and, and buying clothes that I could enjoy personally. But one of the knock-on effects of that, people started looking at me in a different way. Mm. And it was only when they started doing that that I fell apart emotionally, really. And I suddenly, with my counsellor, made that connection that I felt very uncomfortable because people were, people weren't necessarily looking at me in a sexual way, although some of them were. And that kind of scrutiny I didn't like. And, I, and it was only then really that I realized that that literally that, however you want to look at it, but I look at it as this big defensive wall of fat was a protective layer. I think people often fail to fully understand and appreciate that these things are actually our body's way of protecting us. And I get particularly upset with people who talk about before and after photos. They'll post them and they can be really dramatic. One of these days I'll post mine and it's really dramatic. You might not recognize me um, from my before picture. And they'll say things like, I hate that before. I'm never going to be like that again. I'm never going to be that person again. But the fact of the matter is you are still, are that, still person. that person. Yeah. That mm. person is inside you and they're probably in extreme pain and they'll be crying when you say that because actually they were the strong ones they were the ones who got you through that period of time when you were probably maybe at rock bottom that was get emotional that was the part of you that got you through that time and I think we tend to forget that these these defense mechanisms that we throw up it's our our as human beings, we have this natural intelligence, which is incredible. It's our level of self-preservation is quite something. And if you start looking at these things, these habits that start getting formed as your body's way of protecting you, it can be much easier to start undoing them. You know, me putting on weight and putting up that defensive wall of fat was my way of stopping unwanted or at least lowering unwanted sexual advances because I was assaulted when I was nine years old. Mm -hmm. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? it does. And it makes perfect sense that actually this happens, this happens subconsciously. This is your clever, clever body's way of dealing with these things. And it's only actually when you drop them and all of a sudden you're getting looked at and all of a sudden that takes you right back to when you were nine years old and you're terrified and it's overwhelming and you don't really understand why. And this is where therapy is a great idea <laughs> because they'll help you unpack that and they'll help you work through it and they'll help you understand why all these things are happening. But once your body doesn't need to protect you anymore, this is why changing your diet is great and can have fantastic effects, have a massive impact on your life. But if any of your problems are emotionally based Absolutely. until you deal with that they'll keep coming back mm -hmm. and that is why people keto works so well for me i lost all the weight in the first year but i've i've started to regain or i've put it all back on again yeah 
because you haven't dealt with those underlying problems. Actually, if you resolve all the problem areas in your life, whatever they are, sleep, emotion, depression, migraines, you know, movement, whatever it is, relationships, mm. connectivity, not spending enough time outside, all those things, actually, the weight will probably resolve itself on its own. You know, for me, I've been amazed at what an impact coming in. If you think of that all as a sort of cycle going round and round, at some point you need to throw a spanner in literally to stop that wheel turning. You've got to find a way of getting in there and start feeling better. And that's where I think something like keto works really well because it gets you to a place where you feel able to start tackling the other things. Mm. And I never thought I'd say the way I can start feeling better, the way out of depression is to change what I eat because I felt so controlled by what I ate that now it's the easiest thing to start dialing back in that I know will have a good impact on my mood. So with my depression, I had been eating more carby foods. And when I started dialing that back in, my mood started lifting. I started doing other things. I started getting interested in the psych side. That's when Monday Mindset started. And, you know, so it started having this cumulative effect in a positive way. But my way in was diet. And for some people, it might be something else. It might be exercise. Some people make that inroad in, in different ways. Whatever it is, you've just got to find a way of throwing a spanner in and stop that endless cycle repeating to get you to a place where you can start tackling the really hard stuff. Mm. So it was really a disruption. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Like you have to mm. disrupt the habits or disrupt the, the patterns or disrupt the, um, you know, what has become your, as you said about your Monday mindset, it was making the unfamiliar familiar mm. so making things taking things in a, in a new way and that's certainly being our keto twins i had spent that time in therapy before choosing mm, which is a really good before idea. choosing the surgery mm. so i had about three years of therapy so a lot of the unpacking the emotions and i remember spending a lot of my my time preparing my thesis um asleep on the floor. So I did some of my best academic work, I can say, um, in a carb coma <laughs> in my office floor. But a lot of that was because I was obviously in a very unhappy marriage that was falling apart, mm. that a lot of those emotions. And for me, yeah, that defense's big wall of fat was because of, you know, the relationship and I was self-soothing through food. And having that investment in the therapy certainly helped cognitive behavior-wise. You know, what were my triggers? How did it make me feel? What was the behavior? And, you know, what were those thoughts and feelings associated with that in those food choices? Perfect way of doing it as well. Yeah. I mean, that is the textbook way of approaching something like weight loss surgery. Mm. It's not the way I did it. I did it all about face, really, and in, in a different order. But to get the most out of something. If you decide that weight loss surgery is a good tool for you, and I think it is, I do think it's over-prescribed actually in a lot of places, but when it is the right choice for you to go into it like you did with at least starting to deal with the emotional side first before you then 
take that step is the perfect approach. Yeah. And I'm sure that we'll link in the show notes our episode with the two keto dudes. Mm. And I want to sort of obviously give a shout out to our third interviewee on that episode, which was um, Donna Lordy, who, you know, had a different, a different surgery. Yeah. I think that particular episode was a really interesting one for us because Carl, unbeknownst to him, you know, had this particular, I suppose, approach to say how radical it was, how drastic it is. And it's not something that I, for myself, when I came up against these sorts of preconceived ideas or, you know, and associated stigmas that people had about judging, about my decision, a very personal decision that, as you said, it's a tool in my toolkit you know, and I'm sure you've had people say, have you regretted it? You mm. know, if you'd only known about keto beforehand, sure. you know, would you still have gone through with it? And it's like, I can't live in the past. I'm living in the now. And low-carb keto has maintained a significant yep. part of my success in keeping it off. Um, and I remember being talking as, you know, at the conferences and – one of the a general practitioner, Australian guy, said, but you're one of the lucky ones. And it's like, what do you mean? But you've kept it off. And it's like, it's only because two things. I had fixed the brain stuff, mm-hmm. the stuff that was, you know, above the mouth, to use um, Darren Graham's, you know, um, idea, that, you know, fixing that stuff about what I then put in my mouth, which happens to be, low-carb keto, and that's how I've kept it off. Mm -hmm. And it's not without the reach, but I know your experience was very different in the sense that you didn't have any pre-surgical advice and, like me, had no nutrition advice afterwards. I was just told, you can eat whatever you want, just only a little bit left. Yeah, I mean, I was given nutrition advice. It just wasn't very good. Have a third of a baguette. That was it, wasn't it? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, incredible. They had me eating, they wanted me to eat six times a day. I mean, it felt like constant because when I was in hospital, I was in hospital for about eight days. I nearly went mad. So they literally, you know, they brought you the meals you were supposed to eat and they told you off if you didn't eat them. And they were big on dairy. So you would have the breakfast would be one of those sort of biscuit things, you know, the dried out bread stuff with, I think they did bring me butter in the end, but butter, jam, and then they bring you a mid-morning snack, which was some kind of dairy thing, a yogurt or a flan, they call it. It's like a caramel custard type cream thing. Cream caramel. Yeah, cream caramel, that's the one. But, you know, loaded with sugar. Low fat, of course, yay. Um, and then <laughs> there would be a lunch, which would be, it would always be this this horrible soup that would come out and, you know, minced up. They had me, they didn't. They had me on only like a day of liquids and then they had me straight on minced up food. But we minced up some meat and veg. And, but yeah, there would be some bread. Can you believe it? Like this is a couple of days out of surgery. And then another snack mid-afternoon, which would be another one of these dairy things. Then there would be, oh, and you'd have a dairy thing with your meals as well. And then there was an evening meal, which was a repeat really of the lunch with more bread and all the rest of it. And then another snack later on. And I was supposed to do this when I went home. And I was wondering why I was actually almost constantly hungry. You know, because I was doing what they said. I had these dried out 
biscuit things that I would have for a snack with cream cheese on or whatever. I'd be eating these sort of dairy type stuff and I'd be eating little and often, which in some ways you can see why they're getting you to do because you've got a tiny, teeny little stomach. But you don't need to be doing that. You should be eating less often and yeah, less food because you can't eat too much. But it's it was just the wrong advice. And I, I thought I'd done something wrong because I felt hungry all the time. I thought, you know, the thing I wasn't supposed to feel was hungry. That was the whole point. Yeah. When I started eating more appropriately, I didn't feel hungry. Um, so, yeah, I, I was given advice, but it was bad. And yeah, I was supposed to have a third of a baguette with every meal, which I mean, I know it's France, but that's just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> And certainly there was no, I think if you lived in the town where I had the operation, there was some kind of um, a regular meetup type thing available for people to go to, but I didn't have access to it. So I had no, no follow up help, really. That's, that was all self-driven and mm you know, things I'd found online. That was one of the benefits actually is when I went into the, when I had the band, I, there was nothing and I had no one to talk to about it. And I did actually find some online groups a little while after that and before I went into the sleeve. So going into the sleeve, I was talking to people online. So starting to get that information. And it was one of the friends I made through those groups that introduced me to low carb and keto so on a timeline when when was the gastric band oh goodness me uh, probably i don't know without looking up it's got to be a good 10 years ago possibly more actually no i think it was i think it was 2008 that i had the band i think my sleeve was round about 2012 yeah so that feels about right time wise yeah because we had it the same year so 2012 yeah and so it was it was a while before i got into keto i was more into sort of a i guess a, a low carb paleo approach before that i had a rule fairly early on that i could eat something if it was recognizable from a plant in particular so I wouldn't eat things like processed things like flour, for example, but I would eat things like chickpeas, you know, things that you could potentially go and harvest somewhere. Mm. So it was a kind of a, a whole food approach yeah. that I was on for quite a while. And that's really my weight loss was on that kind of approach coupled with the sleeve. So a restricted amount of food I could eat. And just sort of gradually getting my diet a bit better. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't really until I started regaining weight that I got into keto, as as many people do, as a weight loss tool, really. I had no idea what kind of roll-on effect it would have as far as depression and migraines go. Yeah. And that's what kept me to it. And I think that happens a lot. Yeah. A lot of people approach it from a weight loss perspective. What keeps them are all the other great things they discover. Mm. All the benefits, yeah. Are all the other stuff. Yeah, and we're totally on the same page about that sort of thing. And it was really sort of that one person, you know, that, that one, mm. your one with Kristen. And, you know, obviously my mum was my one. And that it really keeps you 
obviously that first person that gets you gets you in but your journey then takes on its own approach and ours obviously merged when we met through the two keto dudes that's right and your approach changes a lot yeah you think back to what we were like back in those early days you know you have that early evangelical side and probably a bit dogmatic about things i certainly was my approach has changed quite a lot yeah i've got better at biting my tongue <laughs> yeah not yeah. saying anything <laughs> But I know that, you know, there's been some great stouches in the online communities where, you know, where we've sort of gone in, you know, with guns blazing and we're ready to, you know, got the gloves on and we're having, having these stouches with those pro groups or this pro group or these sorts of things that, um, that's right. You sort of start to, oh yeah, whatever. Yeah, you can pick the tribe, you know, and that's fine. You've got your own lived experience, you know. That's your lived experience for that person. But you're not me. You're not a menopausal woman who's had weight loss surgery. But, you know, sure, you go and do whatever. That's what I like about it. It's not, it's not a prescriptive lifestyle. It's not a prescriptive dietary approach. You know, people ask what is keto and you can give them broad sweep terms. But effectively, keto is what you make it. Keto is an approach that should work around you, not the other way around. It's not for you to fit into keto. Obviously, there are general rules like, you know, you're not going to be keto if you're eating 200 grams of carbs a day because, you know, the whole thing about being ketogenic is that you're at least in and out of ketosis that's where the name comes from but you know with those things aside there are so many different approaches you can make keto work for you i can pretty well guarantee it yeah. it's not a one size fits all it just isn't and anyone who tells you it is and it'll only work if you do it a certain way is telling porky pies yeah. <laughs> keto ones obviously if it was so prescriptive i would never have stuck with it no, me neither. i probably wouldn't even have tried it same so Given that you're one of the keto rock stars, podcasters, <laughs> that sort of stuff, and you not produce one, but you produce two podcasts now, what are the next steps for this particular keto rock goddess star person? <laughs> stop. Stop flattering me. <laughs> I don't like it. It's embarrassing. <laughs> but a part of me appreciates it too, of course. Well, really, it's the connecting a lot more with the UK community. That's my next big step and hopefully becoming a much more active presence over there. I've already got relationships with people that, you know, have been done remotely, have been done through meeting people at conferences, friends I've made that I happen to meet like you two. But being an active presence by being on the ground, you know, I've I've tried to have some kind of presence, but ultimately I'm still across the channel. I'm I'm still very much a Brit and that's the kind of thing that I engage with, the same actually as I do in America. Have you know, have a lot of people I connect with over there. But I'm looking forward to being actively engaged locally and nationally in the UK already thinking along the lines like I said of local groups maybe looking at uh, starting a new Facebook group for example being a lot more UK specific so you know looking at things that are specific to the UK so products that are available and 
different tools and resources that are available locally in the UK. So I guess that's really the the biggest change for me. The other thing that I'm doing, there's been a bit put on hold because I'm so busy, but going much more down the mindset track, I'm doing some training to be a counsellor. So that's something I want to bring in. What I've realised, I've been thinking for a while about doing some kind of keto program. I toyed with the idea of coaching. I toyed with the idea of doing a course of some kind and it never felt quite right. Something was stopping me from doing that. Something was holding me back. I love the podcasts. I love the Facebook group. I love the kind of interaction and help and advice I'm able to give in those spaces. And it was something that I wanted to extend, not only to get help to more people, but obviously potentially start making some money from. We all need money. So that was also another consideration. But something held me back. Something wasn't right. And what I've come to realize is that although keto, what you eat, whatever it is, not necessarily keto, is very important as far as your health and wellness goes. For me, what I realized was the key, the core component that was important to get right was the emotional aspect. Mm. So that's where I felt I needed to top up my training. And I wanted to be able to get adequate training in being able to help people in that sense. So I'm not necessarily going to, but who knows where the training will go and what I feel like. I'm not necessarily looking at becoming a counselor per se, but I want that bedrock of training to be able to focus a holistic health approach with that emotional aspect as my core. So that's where I'm headed as far as training and professional life goes, I guess, with all the other things floating around like yeah. podcasts and local keto groups and all those things. Yeah, right. It's exciting times. And, and the good thing was because we had the opportunity with the two keto dudes to go to conferences and to Keto Fest where, as you said, you know, connecting across the other big pond in the United States and it's a little bit of envy when we go there and we can go to Whole Foods and we can, mm. you know, have a look They've at all, all the, the products. Yeah. The products. There's more and more products coming out in the UK, I have to say. I keep noticing new ones popping up. So I think I think the UK likes to catch up quickly on what the US does in those terms. It probably won't be that long before we get allulose as well, which would be great. It won't be long because I know that in some of the UK spaces that there is obviously there is product developments. We part of the WhatsApp groups or the Facebook groups where, you know, there are the keto cafes. There's one in Greenwich, I think it is. Oh, really? Jackie. Hammersmith. Hammersmith. Okay. There's some of those influences there on mm -hmm. Instagram. We've interviewed um, Nicola Howard. So there's a soon a, a keto low carb supermarket coming online. So in the UK, so we know that there's, as you're saying, they're playing a bit of bit of catch up. And Ali Houston has got his keto ice cream coming on. Mm -hmm. I always love some ice cream. <laughs> I mean, people love products, don't they? I think it's easy. I do think they can be dangerous territory. Keto products. Uh, I think they're a very very useful transition tool. I think a lot of us have to watch out for 
than being dangerous territory when it comes to cravings and overeating. Because let's face it, most of us who get ourselves in the kind of mess that we start looking for something like keto to get ourselves out of, have some kind of level of addictive behavior when it comes to food. And those kind of products do tap into that. And absolutely, they're a better choice than their carb equivalents. But I always, I do think they should come with a bit of a caution label. Mm. But I think it's great as well. I'm just like everyone else. I love trying new products. Absolutely. (laughs) I just look with envy in those groups and they sort of, you know, they talk about going to Trader Joe's or to Whole Foods or, you know, the big Costco's. But I know the UK has Costco. Um, and Australia has Costco. So when they sort of mention about allulose, which I can't get, mm. there's no way here in Thailand or, or Australia. Right. There's things, I just have that FOMO, that fear of missing out of, Definitely. of the products. So it's just not fair, but, <laughs> but exactly what you're saying. It takes me back to first principles. I have to make my own cream cheese. Mm. I can buy it. Don't get me wrong, I can buy it, but it's expensive. You know, cream and dairy and butter is expensive. There's loads of chicken and pork, but I can't get beef. Well, I can. It's frozen, and again, it's imported. Um, and lamb. So when I'm looking at the carnivore groups and, you know, they're eating just beef, it's like, well, that doesn't quite work for me in my in my context here. So it just then gets me into thinking, I'm going to have to shift my mindset. And as you mentioned, your your podcast partner, Terry Lance, had said about this particular book about the mindsets and, you know, looking at this as a growth mindset mm. where I'm going to have to shift and think about not being restrictive. Now the Carol Dweck book about growth mindset. Yeah. You know, it was really quite a light bulb moment that mm. I'm going to have to start to think about all the things that I can't have that made me unhappy and I'm wishing my time here until I can go get a steak in Australia or a lamb chop. But it's now it's about, well, I'm going to have to think about the 101 ways with chicken, mm. 101 ways with pork. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to become very good at cooking chicken and pork with a smile. <laughs> it's good to adapt to your local environment, and that's part of taps back into, again, what we said about keto being adaptive and making it adapt to you but adapting to what you can get and what you can't get and yes not thinking so much about the things you can't have but exploring and getting excited about the things you can have which brings me back to Chiang Mai bamboo worms interesting what are bamboo worms you can eat yeah you can eat them rock doing I said to my dad actually the next time I'm in Thailand I want to try all the bugs I've seen, you know, I've seen these posts about the bugs you can buy. Absolutely. Deep fried bugs. I want to try them all. <laughs> I can literally just walk out my street and there's a cart there with the bug man. So there's nice. bug man. There's chicken lady. There's egg lady. You tried them. Are they tasty? Um, not the crickets and the creepy crawly beetle bugs, but these little worms were actually quite tasty hmm. and quite sort of crunchy. And the other thing I tried the other weekend was red ant. Eggs. Red ant eggs. Eggs. Yeah. So ant the eggs, eggs of the ant. Yes. Oh. And they had it in, you know, the papaya salad, the somtum. So it's got a vinaigrette 
and um, they're like popping candy. So do you remember that as a kid? Mm. You just put it in your mouth and it just pops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Cool. Well, they'll be on the list as well then. Yeah. You're very adventurous. I'm not sure I'd go that far. <laughs> you know, chicken feet. I must admit, I saw some pictures. I think they're called water beetles or something. They're quite big ones that you eat. I might. I'd probably try them. I probably would try them. I'd give it a go, but I'm not sure I'd. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd go for too many of those. But yeah, I'd, I'd like to give them a go. Why not? So the Costco equivalent, so Macro, the big supermarket wholesaler. So when you go into the the butcher area, so this is totally nose to tail. So literally, you have the snouts, the heads, mm. um, and then you have obviously you know feet and all the gizzards, the linings pancreas like sweetbreads stomach so liver kidneys everything you can possibly think of of chicken pork that's all there so that's that's quite exciting to look at mm. but i still sort of fear to the other section <laughs> so i haven't quite done that i'll try most things there are things that i don't like i'm not wild on the offerly things really mostly for the flavor I like things like chicken liver pate, for example, but Absolutely. I don't really like chicken livers. Mm. It's partly the texture. Like foie gras is a, is a delicacy here. I don't actually, there are humane ways of producing it now, but in the main, I'm, I'm squeamish about the way it's produced, actually. So I don't like it from that point of view. But a delicacy is pan fried foie gras. And I had this once years and years ago. I went to a fancy restaurant, which is not too far from here. It was one of these, you know, these fancy ones you see on Master. In fact, it's been on MasterChef as one of the places that they get sent, you know, when it, when they get towards the finals and they get sent mm. to these fancy kitchens to go and work from and learn from. And they, they all have to make their signature dish. Well, this was one of them and it, their signature dish was a starter, which was called From the Fields or something. And it had little violet flowers and stuff like that and i've seen this dish on masterchef and i remember eating it it was this 10 course taster menu i had back uh, a friend of mine whose mother lives in the Auvergne, and it's not too far from from here the restaurant and we went there i must have been i don't know early 20s so talking a long time ago and i still remember it it was incredible but one of the courses was pan fried foie gras and I didn't like it. It's, I mean, it's, it is the texture of liver, but it's much softer. It's almost like a mousse and it's very delicate flavor, but I really, I don't like it. It was less the flavor and more the texture. So it gets into texture with me with a lot of these offerly type things, but okay. mm. I'd definitely try, yeah, things like bugs or, or especially when you sort of, you deep fry stuff. So it gets crispy. I'm more inclined to try things anyway, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no matter what they look like. <laughs> but the rock doing the, the little bamboo worms, they're just like salty, crunchy little, you know, the, the little crisps that are the string ones, the little mm. thin French fry in a packet. Yeah, tasty. I'd eat those. Yeah. So. And these port scratchings you got up in the north, are those just like quite plain or are they seasoned? What are they taste-wise? No, no, no. They don't have a lot of seasoning. You know, like the black country ones that I liked, mm. they had the salt and the pepper on it. So these are just basically fried. Right. They don't have any. Um, Andrew got the, the chilli ones. He got the, the fire. I was going to say, they must yeah. have some chilli ones. <laughs> There's no way in Thailand they're not going to have chilli on them. <laughs> they have chilli ones. So they were quite nice. And so the other 
version that they have. They have the real puffy ones, which make great for, um, you know, for breading. Mm. Then basically like a little thin cut. Um, so when the pork loin is thinly cut, then they would deep fry that. Okay. So they have these sort of ones that sort of all look, um, yeah, crunchy. Um, as opposed to the big meaty ones that are like mm. the black country ones. Mm. They, yeah, don't have a, they don't have a seasoning, but they have a flavor. Right. And what I can, imagine is because they're done in a soya bean oil it has that sort of i was going to use the word rancid oily taste to it which is a bit off-putting only because i know that that oil is cheap mm. and it's plentiful so palm oil is cheap the soya beans a little the canola is not so cheap but yeah they do actually use a lot of the seed oils mm, not which ideal. i've noticed that when i go to the street and eat street food that um, I get achy. Mm. That's what I really notice when I'm eating out. Um, so I tend not to do that so much these days. I do a lot of the cooking at home, and especially because I've got my Thermomix now as well. So I've got my big fancy whiz-bang machine. Did you have to get another one? Is that the one that Andrew melted on the stove? Oh, that was the Instant Pot. Uh, so, yes, Andrew melted the Instant Pot. You didn't manage to get it fixed? Yes, we got it fixed. Oh, did? Oh, good. Um, we got a, yeah, yeah, we got a spare part. There's usually a man in a garage or on a stool somewhere in Bangkok who can fix these things. They're very much a fixing culture, I think. Absolutely. So, we ended up getting a spare part. Thank you, eBay. Great. And um, yeah, we managed to manage to do the repairs. So, um, yes, Andrew was in my bad books for... So he survived that then, yeah, <laughs> just. Well, we don't <laughs> tell him that, though. We just keep him on a thin wire leash, just know his place. Then he broke the waffle machine. Oh, he dropped the waffle machine. A bit later. Yeah, he did. He's going for oh, two kidding. out of three right now, so he dropped the mini dash. Oh, he's really going for broke, yeah. Oh, dear. Mm. Uh-oh. The truffle maker. <laughs> you introduced me, your old-fashioned... Waffle maker on the stovetop. That was. Yeah, I got a vintage one. I have to say that that's not something I make very often because that's definitely a danger food. Um, <laughs> and it was something, the problem with that for me, and I don't think it's a problem. Those kind of foods are a problem, especially if you're including them as part of your meal rather than adding them to your meal. So when you see people who maybe ate like I'm trying to think of a meal, like a, a fry up or something, and they remove part of it to add the chaffle to it. So it effectively stays the same overall. Great, no problem. If you're like me, you just start adding it to the previous meal. So this is just something <laughs> that's surplus to requirements. And also, if you're like me and trying to replicate crappy white toast, which I did very effectively, <laughs> you get into the old white toast habit, which is having toast and butter and marmite as a snack. Mm. So it was very much a dangerous item. So I had to stop with that. Jackie, I don't know if you know when you're making the crackers, like your little cheese crackers that you made, which were absolutely delicious. Were they just a vehicle for butter and marmite or did they become? Just butter, really. <laughs> so I don't make them. That's another thing I don't make a lot of because I'll know that they're there out in the kitchen and I will want to go and have mm. something. So Same. while we've been recording, my stomach has been grumbling away and rumbling away. But if those cheese crackers were there, I would be heading out and thinking, oh, I'm hungry now. I'm going to eat some of those. So they were the 
Edam or Gouda slices cut into four and then cooked in the oven for 15 minutes and started off just eating them as the cheese crackers, but I really like them with lots of butter on. So I have to be really careful with those. And the seed crackers that you introduced me to, the Real Meal Revolution ones, that's just another vehicle for butter. See, and that's the problem in or one of the many problems is they have a voice and the mm. container from the kitchen Very and they're going, eat me, eat me. I never had any success with the cheese crackers. I don't know if it was the cheese I was using or I, I don't know. And I actually saw Carolina Carter make them at one time when we were at Breckenridge and she did them most perfectly in a little muffin tin and they mm. came out absolutely wonderful. I don't know if it was a strangling cheese, moisture content, Whatever it was, it never worked for me. But the Real Meal Revolution crackers are an excellent way to make butter and Vegemite. Marmite. Um, you know, it's just a perfect vehicle. Vegemite. Marmite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Two against one, afraid. I know. I'm, I'm out. We've I'm out you this time. <laughs> <laughs> and next you'll be telling me that Cadbury's chocolate tastes different. Australian Cadbury's chocolate tastes different. UK chocolate is I bet it does. Well, it's been taken over by the States now, hasn't it? Yeah, and it's not the same. Is it not? It's not the same anymore. I must admit, though, I mean, even so, I mean, Cadbury's chocolate is nice, but it is so, it's so sweet and almost not chocolate tasting once you've been keto for a while. Although the... I don't know, is Galaxy, is that Cadbury or is Galaxy? I think Galaxy is a different company, isn't yeah, it? I'm not uh, sure. Mars. That was always my weakness. Mars. Is it Mars? Yeah, Mars. Mm. I thought your weakness was the haagen Oh, yeah, but that's ice cream. That's different. I mean, we were talking about chocolate. <laughs> it's another category. It's another food food type. <laughs> my, mine's fruit and nut. Oh, no, nut. I've never liked, oh, no. Don't like the uh, fruit bit. It's not the same since the American company took over. And now I find, because I have had it recently. Well, American chocolate's very different, isn't it? So they might have actually changed the recipe, I guess. I think they did change the recipe early on. Right. And then I, I went on to Galaxy because I didn't like it at all. And then they must have slightly changed it back, but not quite. Mm. So I did have it. And when I first went low carb, because I didn't know very much, I read Gary Taub's um, Why We Get Fat, and I just cut things out. I didn't do any more looking into anything. I just cut things out. But I was still having my chocolate every evening. And it was only when I found out more about keto that I realized, ah, no sugar, I shouldn't have mm. chocolate. So that went out the window. But now I've had it recently a couple of times, and it's really different taste. And I don't know if it's a different taste because the recipe is different or because I'm different. Both probably. So, yeah. Mm. I mean, it does taste. You can get back into the taste of it. Don't get me wrong. Oh, Been very there, easily. Done yeah. that many a time. But if I was to have some now, and you need to not push yourself past that hurdle of getting used to it again, because I can guarantee if I had some now, I would probably even be spitting it out. It would just be too sickly, too sweet. So I need to just hold on to that. Which was interesting. You know, the old eco block that... Mm. I had that's 85 percent that's too sweet for me now actually yeah it is it's too sweet Mm. so I actually had some 100 percent chocolate which I used to make this mousse treat last night like they were little buttons and that sort of stuff so melt a couple of those and it was like yeah that's 
totally fine. It was, you know, once you mix it, you blend it with some cream and you have a couple of berries and, and nuts. It certainly takes that bitterness off of it. So It depends on the brand as well. I mean, oh, absolutely. I've tried lint 100%, even lint sort of 90, 95%, and it just tastes like cardboard. It's fine in things. But the stuff I got from... Um, I'm trying to think of the name of the company. It's Matthew de Trumbull, Cliffman's Roasters. It's a little coffee shop in the States. He actually does mail order in the States. I shouldn't imagine it's international, but his 100% chocolate. I can eat that 100% and relatively enjoy it. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, there's sort of virtually no sweetness in it, but it's worlds apart. It has these layers of flavor that one of the more generic brands at the same percentage just doesn't have. Mm. So, you know, if you can find an artisanal sort of chocolate mm. maker, you might find you can get at least very high, up to 95% and get enjoyment out of that compared to a more generic brand that you'd have to be going to about 85% for it not to taste too bitter. Yeah, I can't go any higher than 85%. I have to have 85 And then I have to put loads of cream on top to make it palatable because mm. I still find it too bitter. Mm. It's interesting. So it's a bit like wine, I think, chocolate. There are very subtle differences and layers of flavor mm. but that was the thing about you know having french wine when i was with you and i was just like wow this is so light but it mm. makes sense that it's light whereas australian wine and one of my favorite australian wines is a is a kunawara and um, which is big and bold and it's meaty and you need a knife and a fork to <laughs> you know to drink it because it's so rich but then you know having the french food and it's like that's why it makes sense. It's so light and mm. it sort of is more, yeah, it has a different drink ability to it. And there are heavier wines, uh, Kaur, which is not far from me. That's a much heavier rounded wine and was actually used, I think, to add to other wines to give it some body, maybe still is. But in general, I like the French wines because they're lighter and I like the lighter of the French wines. So, you know, things like a lot of the Burgundies, for example, lovely light reds that you can drink with fish, you know, they're that they're that light. I really like them. I much prefer a light wine, white and red. That's to my taste. So France is definitely a good place for me, wine wise. Not that I really drink it much at all anymore. It has quite a big impact on me physically that I don't particularly like. I only drink it socially. I don't just, rarely anyway, occasionally I fancy a glass of wine by myself, but but not very often. So I hardly ever drink it and I'm fine with that. But I do enjoy, I've got much more snobby when it comes to wine. I'd rather spend a little bit more and have it far less frequently Mm. than drink crappy wine. (laughs) Definitely can't. I can't drink, certainly post-surgery. And mm. obviously, it impacts keto, a lot, doesn't I it? The surgery can't. I can't. I just don't have any match fitness, which is mm. yeah, can't do it. Yeah, I found that two glasses of wine, and I feel absolutely fine. I am not drunk. I'm absolutely perfect. But the next day, I feel like I've drunk a bottle of wine. Mm. I feel really hungover. I get all the sensations of being hungover on just two glasses of wine. 
Well, it's that time of the show for Keto Women. I don't know what you ladies do when it comes to, do you have something at the end that you're going to surprise me with? But it's the part of my show where I ask you two for a top tip. <laughs> Who wants to go first? Jackie? She's put us on the on the spot here. Oh my gosh. I should have remembered her. I hadn't thought of one. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't remember one. I blame it on you, Louise, for organising this really quickly. <laughs> Spare of the moment top tips are usually very good. Go for it. Okay. I guess one of mine, which was going back to what we just spoke about, about wine, is don't drink your calories. Just eat food. Mm, good one. There you go. Very simple one. Like it. Lou? I think because we're all menopausal women, <laughs> well, I'm just assuming, you know, we're, we're coming into... I'm done, apparently. Oh! Mine... Um, yeah, I'm through and done in like a year or something. Apparently, according to blood tests and general symptoms, been there, done it quickly was hardly a problem. I think with hindsight, there have been more things than I appreciated, like quite possibly that extended depression period had something to do with it. And there were definitely some things like hot flushes. But overall, I think I got off fairly lightly. Well. <laughs> hate to rub it in. Yeah, thank you. Go you. Not only are you a keto rock star goddess, but you've, you know, keto rock star goddess royalty. Um, anyway, so being postmenopausal woman, um, I think we need to look at eating to our bodies. And so I think it needs to be that we need to fit, as you said, it's not a prescriptive one size fits all. We need to modify our approach according to who we are, what we are, what we do, and particularly our life stages. So it's very different being a young athletic person, breastfeeding woman, you know, corporate woman, sedentary, but also now we have to be mindful as we do about, um, we're going into our sort of final sunset chapter years. Um, that we need to make sure that we're meeting our protein requirements, um, particularly for ourselves. And we're quite used to that because that's a weight loss surgery mantra, isn't it? Absolutely. Protein first. So we actually got into the habit of that, but it's, it is a good habit to, to continue. I think still as a society, we tend to under eat protein. Mm. Absolutely. And it's becoming more harder and harder for people to get their head around it. And so even when you say keto is moderate protein, actually we probably should still be eating a bit more than that. And I think it's also getting harder when we have these corporate pressures to to be going plant-based and because of the health-washing messages that plants are pure and animal products is bad for the environment. I think you know there's a lot of mixed messaging that's out there and to get quality sources of protein, mm. you know, we're not talking it has to be grass-fed from the happy cows in the paddock, but as long as it's a quality protein source that um is going to meet your protein needs. It's great if it can be, of course. I mean, I think you know, quality protein that's been well grown, well nurtured, well looked after, but yeah, budget comes into it for a lot of us and Absolutely. we're restricted by that. But certainly if you can afford it, if I could afford to eat any type of protein source, it would be the very best from that point of view for not only for me, but for the animal. But it is a big restriction and you know, you have to just roll with what you've got. Yeah, definitely. Well, I don't usually do a top tip, but 
there is something that's come up that's very near and dear to my heart. So I'm going to add one this week as a bit of a special. And I'd like I say, I don't know. I don't know what you two lovely ladies do. I don't know if you ask for top tips or anything similar, but if you do, this is one for your audience. That is to love your before. Ah. Love who you were before every bit as much as you're learning to love the new you. I like that. And this is not female focus necessarily, but I'm talking from my own experience. But that is to, when you have those photos to compare that before and after, love her, honor her, cherish her, respect her as the truly courageous, determined, incredible woman that she was and still is. She's still in there inside you and she deserves honor and respect and love. So please, please give it to her because she's a very, very special part of you. There's my top tip. Mm, beautiful. I love that. Mm. Yeah. So thank you so much. What a very great pleasure this has been. It's been a kind of throwing backwards and forwards of the hot seat and who's host and who's guest. It's been great fun. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> we should do it again. Good. Yeah. I'm up for it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm I'm definitely up for it. Because I know that um certainly Daisy, you know, is very special, near and dear to me. Same. And I know that um yeah, we've had such a mutual journey, you know, ups and downs. And um, it was so wonderful for the 18 months I was in the UK to be in the time zone, as I said. I'm in your it time was, zone. It was lovely, it. wasn't it? Having <laughs> yeah. you closer. Yeah. Mm, no, it was good. It was really good. And I remember when you pretended to go over to see Daisy, but actually said oh, Richard that was instead. Funny. That was funny. That was, fun. that was a good ruse. <laughs> Sneaky. Sneaky, but good. But anyway, so yeah, it's been our pleasure too to have a keto rock star. Yeah. And thank you for your contribution to the keto community as you're doing as, you know, moderating Facebook groups and the keto woman podcast and the Monday mindset of which we'll have in our show notes. Thanks and, for that. Um, yeah. It's been great. Yeah. Really good. It's a very great pleasure. That's what I love to do. Well, Jackie, that was a really great way to finish up our two-part crossover episode with our good friend Daisy Brackenhall. It is something hopefully we can do again and uh, with Daisy and maybe we can find some other podcast friends to to do other cross crossover episodes. But it's also really good that we can actually reflect on the fact that um, through Daisy, through Daisy's podcast, um, we got to meet and obviously here we are in, you know, producing our Fabulously Keto podcast. So it really is something that, you know, we not, don't take for granted, but the fact that we do have a community. So whether that's virtual or face-to-face, -face, such as your public health collaboration ambassadors program, but having and finding mentors and tribes is really important in supporting our respective journeys yeah i think they really help to keep us on track when we're part of a community that's supporting something that we're doing whether that's keto or anything else and this is a great time to to thank again daisy for her support with our podcast as well as you know through the production and you know the mentorship that she's provided but also you've got a shout out and a thank you for um, your production 
support. Yes. So, but Joe Dodds has also been really instrumental in helping us get off the ground with lots of technical issues. Thanks, Daisy and Joe. So, and that's also a good reminder that uh, with with Daisy's um, Facebook group, uh, which is the Kick-Ass Keto Bitches, and as much as it's a bit of a play, it's a bit of a, a spirited women-only group, um, Facebook group, but if you'd like to join our group, which is the Fabacy Keto Facebook group, you're more than welcome to um, to join up. So it's really good to find these tribes where you can connect and get the support, ask the questions and yeah, really connect with like-minded people. Yeah. And, and I think it helps you to keep on track, particularly for the keto stuff helps you and you can dip in and out. Some people do dip in and out. Mm. So Jackie, can you remind us where the show notes are? Sure www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero two three. Hey Jackie, you know when you were starting out with keto, you probably had loads of questions. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Don't you wish you just had someone who was able to give you just the simple answers to all those questions about macros, electrolytes, reading nutrition labels and sweetness? Absolutely, yeah. Well, we want to have an episode where you, dear listener, can AMA, which stands for Ask Me Anything. You'll be able to ask us anything using a Fabulously Keto webpage where there is a contact form and you could submit your questions, which we will answer on these episodes. The contact page is fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. Whether you're just starting out or experienced in your journey, we will happily answer your questions. You don't have to be new to keto. So if you're further along in your journey and have questions on being stuck on a plateau or a stall, then feel free to submit your questions as well. Just head over to www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulouslyketo and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Follow us on social media. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, fabulouslyketo1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know that you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle fabulouslyketo1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice 
should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication. Mm-hmm.